Well, good morning and uh, a warm welcome from me too, if I can add to what Rosie was saying earlier, and thank you to Rosie and Steve for leading the service so far. Um, can you believe it's Sunday again already? It, it just seems to be going, f- I'm sure time is speeding up, it's getting faster and faster and faster, and to think that you're going to blink and that it's going to be Easter next week, it's just, it's quite scary to be honest. Um, but we're leading up to the most significant event in the Christian calendar, Easter's coming. Have you heard that sermon? It was um, S.M. Lockridge, I think, was saying, uh, Love's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Have you heard that sermon? It's, uh, it's coming. Easter's coming. But also, uh, it's Passover. Not something we spend time focusing on or thinking about too much. But what struck me over the last week or so is just the, n- the number of links and the number of uh, overlaps that there are in, in many passages of the Bible between Easter and Passover and all sorts of things. In fact, there's a a picture on the screen behind me by a guy called uh, Chris Harrison. Um, he's a computer scientist from America, and he decided to start, you know, the number of links in the Bible, how can I visualize those? So he came up with this kind of pattern. Now, I've got to say, it's, he, does, he sells it as a poster, and it's quite a beautiful picture. But actually, down the bottom are the books of the Bible. In fact, he's broken it down into chapter by chapter. And each colored arc going across is a link uh, between verses in the Bible. You can see them going right from Genesis to Revelation at the end and everything in between. In fact, on this graphic, he managed to squeeze in nearly 64,000 links between verses in the Bible. It's been described as, uh, or the Bible has been described as the first hyperlink or hypertext document in the world. And it's just incredible when you start digging down and seeing the links between what's happened and what's going to happen, what happened previously and what happened more recently. It's staggering when you start to look through. So what we're gonna spend some time looking at is some of these links. Not all of them. This isn't going to be a 64,000 point sermon. <laughs> Although maybe it should be. But I tried and actually getting all those 64,000 points to have the first letter at the start. It's just, it, it wasn't happening. So maybe next year. Um, but today we're going to read from uh, John chapter 12. We're in the book of signs. So if you could turn to John tap- chapter 12, we're starting at verse 12. If you've got your Bibles, or your phones, or your laptops, or your whatever you've got with you nowadays. The book of John, call the book of signs because uh, it's got all the signs, or many of the signs, not all of the signs, many of the signs that Jesus um, performed, signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus performed through his time here with us. Um, And it starts obviously with the the turning the water into wine at Canaan. The last miracle that we are going to start reading just after is when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And we're going to pick up just after that. So chapter 12 verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about, uh, written about him, and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when they, call, when they called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, 
we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said, it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to them. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now the time is for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard the law, sorry, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you still have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid, hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This is to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith, for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. It's quite a lengthy reading. Maybe I'm rebelling after a couple of weeks ago where I was given one verse. I will let it go one day. Um, but I think it's, it's worth seeing the whole picture, isn't it? This is a whole lead up to what was happening. And I think often we focus, quite rightly, on what happens on Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. But actually the picture of what happens before it is equally important. So in the passage we just read, um, it's not yet known as Palm Sunday, obviously. That would have been very strange. And in fact, when we start producing these, I'm sure you've all seen these lying around, haven't you? Hopefully not lying around, but maybe some churches give these out. You have the palm uh, branch or the palm leaf that's folded into the cross. Actually, this is a perfect tying in with what happened on that fir first Palm Sunday and what happened shortly afterwards. But actually, we, there were so many people gathering just for Passover. Now, Passover is a festival still celebrated by the Jewish community today. And probably especially, I'd say, in, in Israel, where it it's kind of has its focus. And I'm sure you all know the story of the first Passover that ever happened. The Israelites were held captive in Egypt and worked as slaves. God, through Moses, brought plague after plague after plague. And Pharaoh said, no. Pharaoh continually refused. The final plague and judgment on Egypt was the death of Egypt's firstborn sons. In fact, the death of the firstborn sons in the whole area. But remember, the Israelites 
families, the Israelite firstborns, were kept safe by the blood of the lambs being painted on the doorposts. And then when the Lord passed through, that the houses with the blood on the doorframe were kept safe. And so the celebration of Palm Sunday, sorry, the celebration of um, Passover remembers this incredible event, but also foretells of the greatest miracle the world has ever known. It's worth reading, I think. Sorry to, I'm not sorry. I'm, I don't know. I'm apologizing for reading the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. Read the Bible again to you. But I'm going to flip right back to Exodus, after Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, "This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year." Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it onto the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the, t- eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire, with a head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Then it goes on to say, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Staggering, isn't it? Absolutely staggering these events happened. And actually staggering that it was not just an incredible event that should be remembered. Absolutely it should be remembered. God acting to step in and not just liberate the Israelites from Pharaoh. And not just to to liberate them from slavery. Not just to perform this miracle. An awful miracle as it was of the firstborn of everything dying in that land. Except for the Israelite children. But actually it's incredible that it was foretelling almost perfectly what we're still remembering, what we're leading up to in the next week or so. The Old Testament, it says, the lamb was taken into the house on what they called the tenth of Aviv. Now, tenth of Aviv. Aviv is, is technically a month, but it um, actually sort of translates into spring. So the tenth of the spring month. Jesus entered the temple on the tenth of that month. The lamb was a young male without blemish. Well, Jesus was 33, but... Pilate found no fault in him. There was no blemish in Christ. The lamb was examined for four days. They had it on the 10th of Aviv, and then they kept it until the 14th. And they were to look after it and make sure that they could you know, check it for any blemishes so that they didn't have a, a defective lamb, if you like. Jesus was tested by the leaders for four days. The lamb was slaughtered on the 14th of the month. Jesus was crucified on the 14th of the month. And it's incredible the detail that actually was foretold. The lamb was to be killed, and it said here at twilight. Actually, it's looking at the documents. The lamb was killed at about 3 p.m. Mark 15 tells us that Jesus died at about 3 p.m. The ninth hour, as they call it. And the lamb was tied while they kept it. You wouldn't build a pen for this lamb. You'd just tie it to a post. 
as we know, Jesus is even predicting in, or foretelling in chapter 12 that he would be lifted up onto the wooden post, the cross. Now the Israelites, for all these years, for 600 years, between that first Passover until this Passover that we're talking about today, 600 years have been remembering that first awful but awesome event. But they didn't realize that they'd been foretelling, actually predicting and remembering in a strange way what was going to happen on this Easter Easter Friday, Good Friday. It's a very clear prophecy of what was going to pass. Now many pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem at this time for the Passover. It's really hard to tell how many. It's, it's one of the few times that records weren't kept. Um, but you know what? Food is always a good indicator, isn't it? Especially when you're talking about Bethel. How many people belong to Bethel? Well, just come and have a look at a church lunch. And you'll start to find out, I suppose. And that's a very cynical way of looking at it. But if you imagine, how many, you could find out how many people look at, uh, who, how many people in Britain celebrate Christmas. Well, actually, about 10 million turkeys are killed each year. 10 million. And you can imagine each one feeds, well, probably about 10, but it generally a family of four or six will have a turkey between them. July the 4th in America. Now we're talking, aren't we? Americans and food. No Americans here? It's going out on the internet. Oh, no. July the 4th. About 150 million hot dogs are eaten just on July the 4th. That's ridiculous, isn't it? So we can look at the food kind of records to get an idea of how many people were in Israel at this time. Now, they reckon, and records show, about 260,000 lambs were slaughtered just for Passover alone. And you can imagine, it was saying, you know, get a lamb that's big enough to feed you and your family. And if a family near you doesn't have enough food, then, you know, share with them as well. So you're talking maybe, I don't know, maybe, let's, let's say five, because it's easy maths. So we're talking a million and a quarter people are here at this time. And I'm wondering if this is just part of Jesus' plan, part of God's plan. Wait until you've got the biggest crowd possible to see what's going to happen. Then there's no excuse. Among all the Passover pilgrims who entered Jerusalem by this day, one has a very, very different reason for turning up. You can imagine the roads would have been very, very busy. You can imagine all the sort of carts and the horses and goodness knows what coming in. There wouldn't have been enough, t- enough space in Israel for people to live and stay and, and spend their time. So they'd have been traveling in and out, traveling in in the morning, traveling out in the evenings, and probably living in the hillsides around. So you can imagine that this one person traveling on just a donkey could have been easily missed. So he came riding on a colt, this, the colt of a donkey that had never been ridden before. His disciples and many Passover pilgrims honor him with praise as he enters Jerusalem. But do you know what? There's a lot of confusion. There still is a lot of confusion, isn't there, over who this man was, who this man is. They say that there was confusion around who was on that donkey riding in. And it says in in John chapter 12, they were praising him and giving him messianic titles, but actually their understanding of what they were expecting, who this man was going to be, was very, very different. They were saying things like, son of David, king of Israel, and so on and so forth. And they're also shouting things like, Hosanna. And we kind of use that still, don't we? We sing songs with Hosanna in it. Hosanna in the highest. What does Hosanna mean? A lot of people take it to mean sort of victory or praise. Or, but actually it means, if you look at the original Hebrew, it means pray, save us. Please save us. They were shouting to this man, not just worthy of you, not worthy of praise, but actually, please, you know, you're worthy, you can save us. They were saying all the right things, but sadly, in many cases, for the wrong reasons. They thought that actually he was a foretold 
victor, the foretold um, liberator that was going to liberate Jerusalem from the Romans, that was going to give them earthly wealth, that was going to restore the, the empire of Solomon, that was going to make Jerusalem the most important city in the world. Right words, wrong motives. And this is why this palm branch is actually quite crucial. We celebrate this, this day is calling it Palm Sunday, and it's a bit of a strange way of looking at it, I suppose, because actually this is, I suppose, it's the second place, only two places in the Bible where palm leaves and palm branches are mentioned. The only other one is in Revelation, the very, very end of the Bible, when we're looking at the end of days, or whatever your understanding is of that. It is a difficult book to understand. But actually, it's mentioned when the martyrs are under the altar and under the throne of God, and they're singing praises, and they've got palm branches in their hand at that point too. But we're told that during this day that the palm branches and cloaks and things are spread out on the road, and it's very often considered this kind of view, I suppose, of, of, of respect. They're kind of laying out a soft path for this, this messianic figure, this, this donkey carrying this man to walk down. But actually, it's, it's only a small view of what palm branches are. Now, palm branches symbolize a heck of a lot. It is considered a symbol of victory and triumph. And you've got to wonder why. <laughs> this little kind of, I know we've got dried ones here, don't we? But actually, the palm leaf, I suppose we have symbols that represent different things. And it's hard to explain why. But actually, this became a popular symbol of victory and triumph about 100 years before this Palm Sunday. Not this Palm Sunday, the Palm Sunday we're talking about in the Bible actually started is actually linked with the liberation and the cleansing of Jerusalem a hundred years earlier, led by Simon the Wise. Why don't we have names like that anymore? Simon the Wise. I'm looking at this unflattering picture on the screen. Actually, I'll be Richard the Receding, I think. But Simon the Wise actually liberated Jerusalem at the time and Israel at the time from, from the people that held it captive. So again, they're doing the right thing in praising Jesus, but sadly for the wrong reasons. They didn't know who Jesus was. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, in the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others still Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said that Peter was blessed as this was revealed to him by God, and he added, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus promised Peter that he would be given authority, then warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. You can't blame them for not knowing, can you? They were instructed not to tell people. Have you ever wondered why? Jesus answered them. This is going back to John chapter 12, so I'm jumping all over the place. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. No doubt there were some who's, who heard these words and said, well, about time. We've been waiting a long time for this. But Jesus continued. Most certainly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. For years, Jesus kept saying, my time has not yet come. Now here in Jerusalem, after this glorious parade up into the temple, Jesus finally states that my time has come. And this is the hour. This hour he refers to as his death. I'm sure you can wonder, you know, there's confusion in this passage. How can you talk? Are you going to be lifted up? They knew what that meant. Lifted up onto the cross, lip, like hoisted. We call it, you know, the old phrase hoisted by your own petard. Hoisted means lifted up or sort of raised up. But how can that be glorious? They just didn't understand at the time. But you know, it's interesting that Jesus spoke of himself as a seed. He talks about himself at this point as a seed. 
thousands of years earlier. I say thousands. He came to visit Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, Adam and Eve had just eaten that apple that started this whole mess. As he laid out the consequences of sin, he promised that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, but at a price. At a price. The serpent would bite the heel of the woman's seed. Now Jesus was in Jerusalem to take the poison of the serpent's bite while he crushed the serpent's head. The poison would kill him. And he would, re- like, he would rest like a seed in the earth. Then just as the seed germinates, so also would the Son of Man leave the ground and bear much fruit. Jesus regularly, as you read the New Testament, regularly, consistently, clearly proclaims his suffering, death, and resurrection. He clearly proclaims this is his glory. He clearly proclaimed this as our salvation. But nevertheless, his disciples, the crowds who sang his praise, the Greeks, and the Pharisees were consistently confused. Do you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight, isn't it? Think, what have you been doing for the last 600 years? Remember this incredible event. But it's, you know, hindsight is amazing, isn't it? They were unable to understand that the greatest expression, the glory of God, lies in Christ on the cross, where he suffered all in order to forgive the sins of all who would repent and trust in him alone. And it, it, it's incredible. I find it staggering to think this wasn't plan B. This wasn't us messing things up and going, oh, right, what's our plan B? What are we going to do? Right, okay, we'll have to do this. This was the plan. This is God's perfect plan from the beginning. And Jesus wants you to have a share in his glory, in this glory. But in order to share in the glory, you must die. And I don't say that lightly. This time next week, as we remember during the prayers, we've got baptisms coming up. What an amazing day to be baptized. Thinking about the death that actually liberated us from, that actually paid the debt that we could not pay on the Friday. But that would have been, wouldn't have been enough if death hadn't been conquered at the same time. Actually on Sunday we remember Jesus rose from the dead. That he beat death once and for all. And actually when we think about the baptisms next Sunday, we remember that we are dying with Jesus. We are dying to our old lives. We are saying, the old me's dead. I want a new me. I want to follow you. Jesus said in John chapter 12, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. As the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write, this is from Romans 6. Well, don't you know that we all were baptized into Christ Jesus when we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death. But just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will also be part of his resurrection. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will also be part of his resurrection. Have you become united with Christ? Do you count yourself in that number? As I said, we've got baptisms coming up next week. I wonder if there's anybody here who would like to join in. We've got two people. It would be great to have more. It's never a problem. We could always make more space.
John chapter 12, uh, verse 23, John replied, uh, sorry, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus was talking about himself. The seed that was buried, that rose from the ground, and then bore the fruit and the seed that you see around you. But actually, we're talked about as the fruit, don't we? Or at least, we're talked about parts of the vine of Jesus. I want to remind you today that actually, we're to bear fruit as well. If we've died in Jesus, if we've died and been raised by Jesus, then we are to bear fruit as well. Actually, it brings me right back around to the beginning of the Bible, to that passage I read in Exodus. Exodus, it says, this is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Have you ever wondered why they put that in there? It's really odd, isn't it, to say, you know, it's a very sort of um, Victorian thing almost. It's like, right, we can have dinner. You need to dress for dinner. This is how you must dress. This is our dress code. But they're saying, look, have your, your uh, what is it, your cloak tucked into your belt. That would look fairly daft for a start. The sandals on your feet. Well, actually, many people in that part of the world wouldn't have worn shoes at all. Especially these people were slaves. They probably couldn't afford shoes half the time. But actually, if you had sandals, put them on your feet. And you know, eat with one hand and have your staff in the other hand. We can always look at this as kind of this recipe. You know, why have we been told to do it like this? Or why have they been told to do it like this? And really, it was God's way of saying, look, get ready. Get ready to move. When you're told, do what you're told. And we should have the same thought today. If we count ourselves in Christ, if we have put our faith in Jesus, if we have hope eternal, that God, when he rose from the dead, when Jesus rose from the dead, that the, the debt was paid for us, then we need to be ready to move as well. When we're told, where we're told. And these events were part of the perfect plan. Everything happened when it should have. At Christ's appointed time and Christ's appointed place. Even Christ's appointed betrayer and Christ's appointed death all so that we can have the appointed resurrection to pay the debt for our sins. Shall we pray?